Well, hello, and welcome to the Partner Connection. This is Dell Technologies Partner Program Podcast, and I'm Cheryl Cook, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by John Rose, who's the Global Chief Technology Officer here at Dell Technologies. So hi, John. Thanks for being here. Cheryl, I'm glad to be here. I'm super excited to have this discussion, and I learn something every time we speak listening to you, and there's probably a million topics we could talk to, but I'd like to explore this breakthrough study that we've done, and we've had quite a bit of discussion around digital transformation we're talking about, but where automation, technology, and people come together, and you had some interesting topics or quotes, I guess, where you've mentioned in this study that the data burden is pretty real. We've certainly been looking at burnout and how people are overwhelmed and in the new way we're working, people tend to stick with what they know. So when we talk about this breakthrough study, give us your thoughts on how can automation help? What are some of the barriers or obstacles that people need to be mindful of as they lean forward? Let me start with a kind of customer example or or an industry example about why this matters. Years ago, we started working in the automotive sector around autonomous driving. Basically, how do you build autonomous transportation? Most of you know it's more than just the car. It's all of the data and the ability to actually bring autonomy to that system is primarily a data problem. Anyway, a number of years ago, I was actually over in Asia working with one of the big automotive OEMs over there. And we started looking at how much data would be needed to build their autonomous infrastructure in, let's say, the late 2020s. So we still haven't quite got there. And, you know, we had the data on the sensors, the, basically what their models would look like, their point clouds, all this detail. And when we rolled it up, we came up with a number somewhere between one and seven zettabytes of data would be needed to be managed to make that fleet of tens of millions of cars autonomous. If you know what a zettabyte is, that's an enormous number. Anyway, the reason why this is important is, so then we did another piece of math and we said, okay, let's just say you have a zettabyte of data. How would you even store that? And it turns out you can, we can build storage systems that can scale to, you know, could potentially store a zettabyte in the next several years. But then we asked this question of, well, how would you even operate it? And it turns out today, you know, Dell is actually one of the market leaders in how efficient you can store data and manage it. And the ratio is something you know, like people to petabytes. And our power scale type architectures typically are in the you know, one administrator for maybe 10 petabytes, which is a gigantic number way ahead of most in the industry. But even with that, if you did the math at a zettabyte, you need 100,000 storage administrators. <laughs> and so the, the, the aha moment was, uh-oh, we're heading towards a future where data is going to just exponentially continue to grow. We're going to have more data. doesn't matter what industry you're in. That's kind of the currency of digital transformation. And we effectively are on a path where we're not going to have enough people to manage, process, and understand that data, which led us to the only path in front of us is we have to improve the relationship of people to petabytes or people to MIPS or people to applications or people to clouds by orders of magnitude. And the tool to do that is automation. This idea of splitting the burden between machines and people in thinking tasks, not just in mechanical tasks. And you know, and generally, you know, when we think about it from an infrastructure perspective, it manifests in a term called autonomous operations, this idea of 
how can you manage your infrastructure and structure IT systems to do things on your behalf at a scale several orders of magnitude bigger than it is today? And what will be the relationship of what you as a person do to instruct the system and what the system must do in an autonomous way to allow for the scalability to happen? So, you know, this isn't science fiction. Can't find an industry in the world that is not an exponential growth curve on data. And what that tells us is the missing component is a deep embracing of automation to scale the number of human beings we have so that they can keep up. You're always so succinct, but it's really not just automating tasks and processes. You're really talking about how you break down the work and how the work is done. Yeah, you know, that's the biggest aha moment for people is don't just make the way you do things today faster. (laughs) That is one way to do automation. However, you might want to think about what work you do and how you do it in general and how much of it should be absorbed into the infrastructure. And, you know, we've been on this journey at Dell. We have a tremendous amount of automation in our individual products and components and solutions. You know, like 10 years ago, even five years ago, when you deployed a high-end storage array, you would spend a tremendous amount of time tuning it and trying to teach it what it needed to do to optimize things like caching and you don't do that anymore. <laughs> that's that's just handled by the system through machine intelligences. You still tell it which applications matter. You tell it what the behaviors are, but the relationship of not just what you do, but how you do it changed as autonomy started to permeate the infrastructure. It has an amazing opportunity for unlocking what machines can't do, right? It's the time for human thinking and what we are going to do with the insights that we get out of the data. So we've used terms sometimes around, are you a technology optimist or a pessimist? And with this notion of automation at the scale you're describing, it really does require up-leveling what we humans are going to do, right? With the insights. So maybe talk a little bit about how as optimists, machines and robots aren't going to take over jobs and displace jobs. It's actually going to unlock or open up new jobs, new opportunities, new roles. So how do you kind of carry that discussion? I'm an eternal optimist and I've been in the industry now a very long time. So I've seen us go through phases where the ratio of people to machines or what was done by each change. And every time there was more work for people (laughs) because overall there was exponentially more work for everybody because we were just making IT and systems bigger. Just think about how many connected entities there are in the world today versus just a decade ago. It's orders of magnitude bigger and it's enhanced, you know, human progress. It's solved gigantic problems. It's allowed us to do things we could never dream of. And, you know, know, people still have jobs. The world changes a bit. But what I will tell you is there's a couple of things to think about. The first is that most automation, if done properly, really just allows an existing job in many cases. This is in the IT sector to scale. For instance, if you are the person in charge of detecting and understanding if security threats are happening in your infrastructure, the automation that surrounds you is not replacing you. You are still the human in the loop that makes final decisions on activity, but what level of information you're dealing with is now up-leveled dramatically because of the automation below you. And that's very common. There are no world-class security organizations today that have a human being sifting through log files trying to find a needle in a haystack. That is 100% automation. Yet, interestingly enough, we can't find enough security analysts. There's an insatiable need for them because at the top of the stack, somebody has to kind of interpret this and try to figure out what is the 
the human in the loop action that ought to occur. The other is that just in general, when automation and machine technology materializes, there's a you know dirty little secret, and that is that all technology is fragile. It breaks. It needs to be configured, even automation. And in fact, in the data center world, a number of years ago, as we started moving to very autonomous data centers, an entirely new job materialized called a site reliability engineer, or SRE. And an SRE is code for the team of people who care for the automation. <laughs> they're the ones that install it. They're the ones that make sure it's working. They troubleshoot it if it doesn't work well. And by the way, you know, if you want a more near and dear example of this, if any of you have a robotic vacuum cleaner like a Roomba, you'll probably know something that's very true. You didn't buy the robotic vacuum cleaner and suddenly you had nothing to do with vacuuming your house. Now, the Roomba vacuumed your house, but your new job was to care for the Roomba. You had to clean it. You had to find it under the couch when it got stuck. For the most part, you do a lot less vacuuming, but it did require a new skill, which is the caring of a robot in your house, because all technologies ultimately have flaws. And they need human intervention. We're very adaptable as a species, so we can, uh, we can fill those gaps. So in general, across the board, the first thing to realize is while autonomy can change certain jobs, things that are very repetitive and very basic may go away. But new jobs that are actually fairly simple but are about caring for those robotics infrastructures, that automation materialize. But more importantly, what really happens is what humans are good at, which is interpreting and making decisions, starts to become easier. And in areas like security and areas like customer service, that high order decision making actually still resides with human beings. It's just easier to do. And if you're in a world where cyber threats are increasing, then there's an almost insatiable demand to make those decisions. Or if your business is growing and interacting with more customers and things, then customer service grows but it's a different kind of job. In general, though, most of the customers that we surveyed aren't really comfortable navigating this. This is significant change. It's hard to go from the era of the horse and buggy to the era of the automobile. Inevitably, we did that, and we ended up with a whole set of industries that brought humanity to new levels, but the change is disruptive. And you know, there's lots of things that we can give you for advice, but the bottom line is you need to realize that it is inevitable it isn't to replace you. It's just to change the relationship of what is done in an autonomous environment versus what you do. And if you take that optimistic view, I have too much work to do. How can I do less work, but the right work and autonomy is a way for me to do it? You usually find that this is actually a fantastic ally on that journey. If on the other hand, you really don't want to change either what you do or how you do at all, autonomy will eventually run you over because candidly, your competitors will take advantage of it and simply a better ratio between human and machines results in a better competitive advantage for a company. I find this just so fascinating because we're all adapt to change. Even if we resist it, we do, right? We evolve. We're always going to embrace it. And another interesting, you said, even though it's hard, change is hard no matter what it is, you visit a lot of customers all around the world, and we talk about having what we've just come through in the last couple, three years, that those companies that were a little more mature or further along on their digital transformation fared a little better. And we were talking about the skills gap. So, I mean, there's a whole nother conversation here about getting people future ready, I think, on the skills front. But when you look at companies and their culture, their openness to change, the culture and what role 
In this breakthrough study, we talked about an empathetic culture. What's your observation or what have you observed in different customers and stories where in their desire to automate, they're down their digital transformation curve, but the rapid race of adoption or change culturally, what's your thoughts there? It does require cultural change, you know, to embrace technology change. You know, empathy is a term I've been passionate about for my entire life, but in the tech industry, when you use a word like empathy, people kind of scratch their head going, that doesn't sound very technical. But it turns out that as we started to think about transforming the way that software is developed or AI algorithms are created, almost all of the ways in which human beings interact with each other to develop software, to develop algorithms, to get to digital outcomes is a team sport. The days of the smart person sitting in their office behind a locked door and you know just providing you with the code is gone. Software is microservices, it's API driven, it's composite applications. And what that's code for is it's small pieces of code that collectively result in an outcome. And they are usually developed by a collective set of teams that have to work very closely together. Like agile development requires the team to be on the same page. They start the week with a stand up to try to figure out what they're going to do. And at the end, they do a retrospective to figure out what they did. And in the middle, they all work as a team. And in extreme agile, you even do things like paired programming where one person codes and the other troubleshoots at the same time. And so what we found is, this goes back to when we had Pivotal Labs as a part of Dell Technologies. What we learned was if you want to hire world-class software developers, being smart is no longer sufficient being empathetic is critical. We actually have a test for it when we hire advanced software developers to make sure that they can work well with others, that they understand collaborative technology development. And as we start to get into the world of automation, that empathy becomes even more important because what you're realizing is there's significant change going on. And as you as a team or you as a leader think about that change, if you do it in a way that quite frankly alienates your team members or even your company, by scaring them, by not really thinking about how they're experiencing this change, you create resistance. If on the other hand, you sit down with your team and you you have a discussion about, here's our problem. We have to manage a zettabyte of data in 10 years, and we don't know how to do that with just human effort. So let's all get together and figure out what tools are available to us that can change how we work to ultimately give us the scale to meet that business objective. Being upfront about that in the beginning can be night and day versus showing up one day and saying, we're going to have machines do all the work, or here's some random technology. Contextualizing the technology in the context of your team, which you will need, you absolutely need smart people in any outcome we can describe here, really just changes whether or not they're enfranchised on the journey. The other thing that we've found is when you have these big changes, there is a normal hesitance to not want to do the new stuff because you're not sure it's going to work. Well, in the case of automation, one of the things we know is there is no other path. There's no path where less data gets created or less demand on IT just magically happens. So since those are a certainty, the tool we have is automation. And so one of the things we recommend, and we've done this for years with customers and the industry, is to tell people when a new way to do something materializes that seems inevitable, using automation more aggressively, using machine intelligence, using cloud-native development, Take a chance and on your next project, something that you have to solve anyway, try doing it using the new technology in the new way. 
even if you could do it in the old way, what it turns out is until you actually begin the journey, until you start working with the new tools, until you start using the new technology or operating in the new way, it's a big mystery and it's scary. But inevitably, the first time you actually use these new techniques or use these new technologies, now you start to understand it. You're aware of it. It's not a mystery anymore. And you can start to form intelligent opinions about where to use it and where not to. So our recommendation almost in every technology inflection is if you're nervous about automation or if you don't fully understand it, the best thing you can do is the next project that could benefit from automation, but maybe doesn't need it. You should go big on automation. You should use a new set of tools. You should invest in developing a machine learning algorithm. You should use a new automation framework. And even if you could have done it the old way, the minute you do it the new way, you'll now have some airtime with it. You'll start to learn the skills. You'll start to learn how to operate and they'll become much less of a mystery. And we saw that companies that embraced cloud native software development early on, even if they didn't need to, developed far better software development skills and a stronger position to compete in the digital transformations that were going on. And that almost directly correlated to the winners and losers in almost every industry. People who knew how to write modern software won and people who didn't, didn't. At the beginning of that journey, nobody needed to use cloud-native software, but the ones that started to experiment with it and used it were prepared when we actually did need it. Well, inevitably, we're going to need automation, and so getting started on your journey today is pretty important to make sure that you're not left behind. That's so true. I think I'm going to take those words and share those with my 86-year-old father, who I'm desperately trying to get onto an iPhone. <laughs> it's like, it'd be great. He needs to embrace it. Well, I got my 85-year-old mother onto, uh, you know, being able to use things like email. And yeah, I've, I've got internet. him on email. I've got him on email. I just can't get him off the flip phone to the smartphone. Uh, <laughs> no, you gotta, you gotta kind of trick him. But the, interestingly enough, what I found is the collective empathy. It turns out that many of these new tools are the preferred communication channel and elderly parents like talking to their kids and grandkids. And if the way they can do it is through a technology that isn't really threatening once they get over it, they become power users. And so it's just getting them to understand the need. That's, that's so true. I have to say, you know, they say, uh, Necessity is the mother of invention, exactly. right? And with the pandemic, I actually did get my dad on Zoom video conferencing. And I was like, why haven't we been doing this before? Be great. One last topic that I know you'll have a strong point of view too. And I was one of those early women computer science engineering students in school when there weren't a whole lot that looked like me. And I love this idea that with the new remote working we say do anything from anywhere now, it opens up the world to an opportunity of having more diverse and inclusive teams. And I love the way you were describing agile development and the need to collaborate and the fact that you're going to lean in on skills. And I think diversity plays a huge role in those kinds of roles too. So talk a little bit about what you're seeing in both technology or just in customers and in Dell and this notion of creating a more inclusive opportunity and diverse globally, certainly now that we're all global. And when you're describing people to petabytes, we're going to need more people doing new work. It's going to be super important. Yeah, and kind of three things to share with you on this dimension. One obviously is, you know, remote work, hybrid work has transformed where we can find talent. We all know that. And that to me is one of those things that companies that embraced and understood that 
The idea of being in the office for every task, regardless of whether or not it made any sense, doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, our ability to tap into a much larger pool of team members around the world with skills that we need is significantly enhanced by having a much more flexible hybrid work environment. So, yeah, that one, no brainer, pretty straightforward. The second is the kind of skills we need aren't necessarily what people think we need, you know, from the old world of tech. In the old world, you needed people who, you know, came out of a university with a computer science or an engineering degree, and then you had to program something, you know, a programming language, and that was the most important skill, and then you'd figure everything out after you got those people. Today, that's just simply not true. You do need those people, but you need more. In fact, in agile development, another good example, the Technical product managers, while they may understand the software development cycle, what their real skill is, is being able to do things like user stories and figure out what the problem is, take a problem and deconstruct it into bite-sized pieces that can be turned into sprints that ultimately the developers can build to. I will tell you, there is a huge difference between the ability to just write code and the ability to take a complex problem in the real world and break it into something that's understandable to the consumer of it, but also can be turned into bite-sized problems that can be distributed out to become software. That skill set, imagine the people that are good at that. They're probably not software developers. They're people who are dealing with complex environments or deal with sociological issues or how humans work, because ultimately most of these get consumed by humanity. And so more and more what we're finding is our teams are, are far more diverse on their skill set. There are technical software developers and algorithm developers, but there are people who have sociology and psychology backgrounds or people that just understand how to work with people well or understand how to listen to customers to learn what the real problem is. All of those skills probably were always useful in technology. We just didn't call it out. And now what we're realizing is they're essential. You can't just solve the problem with technology. You solve the problem by understanding the intersection of technology and humanity. And then the third thing that's coming is more and more the technical tools have been up-leveled to a point where much of the work can be done without necessarily having the lowest level of technical awareness. Things like function as a service and uh, various interfaces around AI development and even quantum computing doesn't necessarily require you to understand a quantum computer if you're working through the right software frameworks and can understand the logic it's trying to achieve, which is something most people don't understand. And there is no prerequisite. You just have to be able to think in a certain way. And so, you know, a combination of better tools, by the way, automation being a great one. You don't have to be the programmer of an automation tool to use an automation tool. But you do need to be somebody who understands how to think about the relationship between people and the device and the automation with respect to getting a task done. And that's a different skill set than necessarily software development. And so more and more what we just find is, look, I've lived this. There is no more powerful tool in the world than a highly diverse set of people, both in terms of background, but also skill set, trying to solve a complex problem. A homogenous team just never results in the best outcome. And so we used to always say that about you know certain dimensions, but now it's almost in every dimension. The more diversity you have from where you came from, what your background is, what your skill set is, what your approach to the world is, how you think, that combination just becomes an incredibly powerful asset when you then add to the team a whole set of machine intelligences and automation tools that can solve some of the lower level problems where humanity can focus on more of the higher level problems. So we're kind of heading in a direction that the tools are going to help us get there. The thing that could prevent us from getting there is if we fail to grasp that the problems we're solving in this new automated future that we talk about as digital transformation 
is just a technical problem. It's never. And so why would you solve something that isn't just a technical problem with just a technical team? And it's just integrated into everything, right? So it's the power of both, the best of both. I love that. Well, I'll tell you, we could certainly pick your brain and listen to your insights for a lot longer, but I know we're close on time. So I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball here. And at the end, I always like to have a little bit of fun and try and learn something. Have you share with us and our listeners a fun fact about yourself that we wouldn't know? Wouldn't be on your resume. Your colleagues might not know. What's a fun fact about John? I'll give you two. One that people don't realize is I'm dual national and I've lived in almost every continent in the world, or I've definitely been to everyone. (laughs) As a kid, I I grew up in the United Kingdom and then actually lived in Iran before the revolution. Uh, So on a personal level, I am a child of the world. On a professional level, the thing people may not realize about me, because I'm the CTO of Dell, is I've been the CTO of many companies in many industries. And the core journey that I'm kind of on in terms of trying to get technology to a state that it's, I guess, done, is that I think we can make technology create an equivalent experience to the dialogue two people have when they're standing face to face. And it sounds really simple, but it isn't there yet. It isn't this podcast. It isn't Zoom. It isn't video conferencing because human beings interact on so many levels. They have audio and visual and spatial and emotional and depth sensing and contextual. And so, you know, as I started my technology journey many, many years ago, the big thing that I felt like needed to happen or the North Star is how do we actually create this fantastic thing called you know, humans interacting with each other via technology. And we're not quite there yet. The metaverse is a step in the direction and a whole bunch of other things coming. But, but I have a passion about that. And it's led me to different companies at Dell. I think I have some pretty interesting uh, friends, colleagues, and resources to help us forward that journey. But, you know, for John Rose, done is when technology is at least as good as two humans interacting and maybe better. And we're not there yet. Maybe we won't get there in my lifetime, but it it drives me and it makes me uh, wake up every morning and focus on innovation. Well, I'll tell you, we love your passion. Your energy is contagious and you just keep doing what you're doing because you're an evangelist, an advocate, and we're happy to have you on the Dell team. So thank you, John, so much for joining us. I know our partners are going to be thrilled to tune in and listen to you. And thanks for all your advocacy for the partner community and all that you do working with us. So thanks for joining. Great. Well, glad to be here. And, you know, let us know we can help. It's definitely our partners are critical to everything that we just discussed. Well, John, thanks again so much for taking the time to speak with us. It's always so fun talking with you. And we hope you're enjoying the podcast. So please rate, review, and give us your feedback. And be sure to join back in the next couple of weeks for our next episode of The Partner Connection. Until then, be safe and stay well. 